This morning we're going to be in Job 18 and 19, and we're going to talk about, as we continue dealing with affliction, but we're going to talk about faith in affliction. We see a remarkable example of faith in the life of Job. Um, And of course we know, I think we looked at the verse already, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. But in this, uh, in chapter 19 this week, uh, he talks about his Redeemer. And what a blessing. Uh, Let's begin reading Job chapter 18, verse 1. It says, I will love thee. Oh, excuse me, that's Psalm 18. I was like, that doesn't sound right there. So as I was, I did that for... (laughs) So I did that this week. I opened up to Psalm 19 instead of Job 19. I thought, what in the world? I'm way off track here, but all right. Job 18. Then answered Bildad the Shuite and said, How long will it be ere ye make an end of words, mark, and afterwards we will speak? Wherefore are we counted as beasts and reputed of isle in your sight? He teareth himself in his anger. Shall the earth be forsaken for thee? And shall the rock be removed out of his place? Yea, the light of the wicked shall be put out, and the spark of his fire shall not shine. The light shall be dark in his tabernacle, and his candle shall be put out with him. The steps of his strength shall be straightened, and his own counsel shall cast him down. For he is cast into a net by his own feet, and he walketh upon a snare. The gin shall take him by the heel, and the robber shall prevail against him. The snare is laid for him in the ground, and a trap for him in the way. Terror shall make him afraid on every side, and shall drive him to his feet. His strength shall be uh, hunger-bitten, and destruction shall be uh, ready at his side. It shall devour the strength of his skin, even the firstborn of death shall devour his strength. His confidence shall be rooted out of his tabernacle, and it shall bring him to the king of terrors. It shall dwell in his tabernacle because it is none of his. Brimstone shall be scattered upon his habitation. His root shall be dried up beneath and above all shall his branch be cut off. His remembrance shall perish from the earth and he shall have no name in the street. He shall be driven from the light into the darkness and chased out of the world. He shall neither have son nor nephew among his people nor any remaining in his dwellings. They that come after him shall be astonished at his day. And they that went before were affrighted. Surely such are the dwellings of the wicked, and this is the place of him that knoweth not God. And, and so we see Bildad's response here to Job. And again, there's not very encouraging words. Uh, just begins to, uh, I mean, the whole latter part of that is talking about the wicked. But let's carry on in verse, or chapter 19 and read that entire chapter. And uh, we'll spend some of our time here toward the end of this chapter today, but... Uh, is where we'll draw the application at least. Verse 1 in chapter 19 says, Then Job answered and said, How long will ye vex my soul, and break me in pieces with words? These ten times have ye reproached me. Ye are not ashamed that ye make yourselves strange to me. And And be it indeed that I have erred, mine error remaineth with myself. If indeed ye will magnify yourselves against me, and plead against me, my reproach, Know now that God hath overthrown me and hath compassed me with his net. Behold, I cry out of wrong, but I am not heard. I cry aloud, but there is no judgment. He hath fenced up my way that I cannot pass, and he hath set darkness in my paths. He hath stripped me of my glory and taken the crown from my head. He hath destroyed me on every side, and I am gone. 
and my hope hath he removed like a tree. He hath also kindled his wrath against me, and he counteth me unto him as one of his enemies. His troops come together and raise up their way against me and encamp round about my tabernacle. He hath put my brethren far from me, and my acquaintances verily estranged from me, or are verily estranged from me. My kinsfolk have failed, and my familiar friends have forgotten me. They that dwell in mine house and my maids count me for a stranger. I am an alien in their sight. I called my servant, and he gave me no answer. I entreated him with my mouth. My breath is strange to my wife, though I entreated for the children's sake of mine own body. Yea, the young children despised me. I rose, and they spake against me. All my inward friends abhorred me, and they whom I loved are turned against me. My bone cleaveth to my skin and to my flesh, and I am escaped with the skin of my teeth. Have pity upon me, have pity upon me, O ye my friends, for the hand of God hath touched me. Why do ye persecute me as God, and are not satisfied with my flesh? O that my words were now written, O that they were printed in a book, that they are graven upon an iron pen, excuse me, and led in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. But ye should say, Why persecute we him, seeing the root of the matter is found in me? Be ye afraid of the sword, for wrath bringeth the punishment of the sword, that we may know there is a judgment." Before we kind of look at this, I just make a few more introductory thoughts. I can't, if you look at verse 19, Job is obviously expressing the great defeat he's feeling. God's against him, his troop. And, and then I can't help but when he, we get to the end of this chapter that he still has faith in God. And uh, what an encouragement to know that uh, we have examples in the scriptures of people that have really gone through some difficult things. And they kept their faith. And we have them as examples. And we have opportunities to look to them. Uh, Listen, Job didn't have that. We're reading about the writings. uh, that God has penned these things down for our benefit. But this wasn't there for Job to look back at. And boy, how weak our faith often is. Uh, I think we have the written word of God. Um, and not that we're going to compare ourselves against those that have gone before us. That wouldn't be wise, but I think sometimes uh, we are so short-sighted and we lack faith. Lord, help us to have a greater faith, uh, to trust Him. So Bildad really lays it out again. I think Eliphaz was even more vicious in the tax on Job than he was the first time. And so Bildad uh, picks up right where he left off. And uh, <clears throat> I don't think there, there's any question. I think they've got the point across that God punishes the wicked and rewards the righteous. Um, and that is a biblical principle that is true. The Bible does teach that. Uh, Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Those are biblical principles. However, God can work in the midst of all that in a greater way because His ways are not our ways. And so we know that the accuser came after Job and the Lord allowed him to, uh, 
take uh, action on Job's life. And, uh, but we also, we just need to remember that God sends the rain on the just and the unjust. Um, and our God is still good. And it's out of His great love and grace that the world is not consumed, really. And as you, I was just pondering this idea today of, of God's amazing grace. Well, this week, I guess. So many times in Scripture, and Pastor was preaching on it in, in Genesis and Noah, where it's just you see God withholding punishment or judgment because of His great love and grace toward mankind. Uh, we deserve judgment. Uh, we are all gone out of the way. Uh, but God is so loving and gracious. Uh, and the reality is in Job's life, according to what we see here, he is a perfect and just man. So these things are coming to pass not because of his own doing. These are simply the attacks of Satan in his life that God has permitted and, and God has allowed. And um, his friends are not being gentle. They're just judgmental. They're, they're critical. Uh, they're making all the assumptions. Uh, and and uh, he seems, Bildad seems to be more perturbed with Job as he begins saying in, in verses 1 through 4, it says, Then answered Bildad the Shuite and said, How long will it be ere ye make an end of words? Mark, and afterwards will we speak? He's basically saying, hey, Job, why don't you just shut up and listen? Uh, if you would listen to our advice and you would heed what we have to say, but again, they don't know. They don't have all the answers. In chapter 16, I don't know if you remember, in verse 9, Job talks about being tore up uh, in, or being ripped apart, uh, kind of like the idea of, of prey. And in verse is one through four. He, in verse four, it says, He teareth himself in his anger. And, and he kind of flips it back onto Job and says, He teareth himself in his anger. Shall the earth be forsaken for thee? And shall the rock be removed out of his place? And so he's like, You're tearing yourself up, Job. You're bringing this upon yourself. And, uh, <clears throat> and then, really, verses five down through the rest of this chapter is just him just doubling down. And it's this long speech uh, that goes. Uh, to the end of this chapter about the terrible fate of the wicked. And, you know, all the things that will come upon those that, uh, that have turned their back upon God and, and as a result of their sin that they will face all these challenges. Uh, talking about the light of the wicked will be put out in verses 5 and 6 and the flame of the fire will be snuffed, uh, leaving their tents. And that was oftentimes a picture, the, the picture of, of light and fire was a symbol of comfort and warmth and happiness in those times. And and so because of all this, Job, your, your life is dark and, and things because of the sin you've brought in your life. The, the, his steps will be shortened, uh, verses 7 through 18. And, but look at verse 19. He shall neither have son nor nephew among his people, nor any remaining in his dwellings. I can't help but think he's making a stab at Job because of all of his kids have died. Miserable comforters. He's like, well, you don't even have nothing left, Job. Uh, you don't have a family lineage that, that will carry on. And uh, you're going to die without any family. And when you think of how lonely Job must have felt, and we'll, we'll kind of capture some of that here in a moment. Even his wife didn't even want to be near him. Uh, one would think that he had exhausted his opinion of the fate of the wicked. But look at verse 20. 
In verse 21, it says, They that come after him shall be astonished at his day, and they that went before were affrighted. Surely such as are, are the dwellings of the wicked, and this is the place of him that knoweth not God. He just kind of doubles down. You're facing all of this. This is what comes upon those that reject God. Uh, and those that would live a life, uh, a wicked life. So basically saying the entire world's astonished and horrified at the completeness of the destruction of the wicked. And, and he relates that to the things that Job is going through. The only thing that's left to complete judgment for Job is for him to die, according to Bildad. That's all that's left. You, you faced all of the destruction, uh, really, that can come upon those that are wicked. Listen, we need to be gentle when we're dealing with folks. Uh, Titus 3, 2, the latter part of that verse says, But gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. Our Savior was gentle. And He is gentle. Think of the gentleness He has demonstrated toward you in your life. Uh, and all the times that... And, this, maybe this is just more convicting for me because I'm known not to be very gentle. Um, we were in our kitchen yesterday, um, and my boys had been out. I think they were with the Palmers helping them do some yard work and things, and they had come home. And they were, they were going to go to, they had to work at Armadillo's. They were going to go to work. And Caleb had come home from work. He gets off on, on Saturdays at noon. And so the whole family was kind of there. And I was busy. And, and I think I've admitted this in front of you before. When I get focused on doing something, um, I just don't let other things distract me. And so they walked in the door, and I had a, like a list of things, all these things that I expected and wanted out of them to be done before they went to work or whatever else they were going to do today. And Colin just looked at me. He's like, man, why are you in such a bad mood? And I really wasn't in a bad mood. It was just it came across that way. Listen, I wasn't being gentle. Uh, I, I was being harsh. And, of course, you know, your kids point out your sin, and you have, to, you have to be honest. And you know what? I haven't been very gentle. And so, listen, sometimes people are just going through it, and the best encouragement you can be is just being gentle and being kind. And I'll say, I don't know how many more times I'll say this as we go through this book, but you don't know what they're facing. You think you do. And I'll self-incriminate. I'll try to, I don't want to self-incriminate myself all the time. But sometimes I look at younger people and I think, man, if they would just, but listen, I didn't live their life. Now, I do have some life experience, and I, do, I think there's some wisdom that you, you gain through this life. But sometimes I can be critical of people because I feel like I've been in their position before. And so I begin to be judgmental about how they're handling life. But we need to be very careful because we haven't been where they are. We might have some insight, yes, but we need to be careful that it's not a judgmental Listen, because what the reality is, what should we be doing? We should be helping those. And Job's friends have not been helpful to this point. Because they are just explaining how God works. And they're misappropriating how God often works differently from what. Because those things are true. God does work that way at times. But listen, we need to be gentle. 
Bildad was doing the opposite of, of being gentle and meek unto all men. And so just remember that principle of being gentle when you deal with people. Uh, and so we're going to transition to chapter 19 this morning. And so in the first cha- six verses of this chapter, uh, Job really expresses his increased irritation as his friend's lack of compassion. Look at verses 1 and 2. Then Job answered and said, How long will ye vex my soul and break me in pieces with words? Listen, guys, I've heard it. Enough is enough. I get it. Uh, this ten times, verse 3, have ye reproached me. You're not ashamed that you make yourself strange to me? Boy, they're, they're really distancing themselves from him. They're creating a barrier because they're not being an encouragement and a help to him. Uh, what a shame. <clears throat> Is that the kind of friend you want? Listen, we ought not to strive to be that kind of friend. Uh, we need to be the gentle, loving, caring friend, a compassionate friend. <clears throat> they, he's saying, you should be ashamed of how you're treating me. Listen, he says if he's erred or, or sinned, uh, it's not their concern. <laughs> Verse 4, and be it indeed that I have erred, mine error remaineth with myself. He said, listen, you guys don't have to worry about my problems. You know, don't make assumptions about it. Listen, I, I, I got to deal with that. Uh, they just continue to magnify themselves. This idea of five times uh, they had spoken, and, and it's more of a, a picture, a word picture, uh, or excuse me, ten times. Sorry, not five times, ten times there. Uh, but it speaks, Matthew Henry says this, five times they had spoken, and every speech was a double reproach. But if you look at Genesis 31.7 and Numbers 14.22, it has this example of five times, or excuse me, ten times. My goodness, I can't get this word right. Uh, but this, the idea is just over and over, repeatedly. Uh, not specifically exactly ten times. Because if you look at the, the number of discourses that have gone back and forth with them, it's, we're not up to ten yet. And so the idea is just over, you keep saying the same thing over and over. Uh, I get it, I've heard it. Uh, <clears throat> but now Job here is probably near death in chapter 19. Um, he comes, he just gets exacerbated. Uh, Look at verse 6. Know that God hath overthrown me and hath compassed me with a net. Behold, I cry out of wrong, but I am not heard. I cry aloud, but there is no judgment. He hath fenced up my way that I cannot pass, and he hath set darkness in my paths. He hath stripped me of my glory and taken the crown from my head. He hath destroyed me on every side, and I am gone, and mine hope hath he removed like a tree. He also hath kindled his wrath against me, and he counteth me unto him as one of his enemies. His troops come together and raise up their way against me and camp round about my tabernacle. He hath put my brethren far from me and my acquaintances are verily estranged from me. My kinsfolk have failed and my familiar friends have forgotten me. Can you, are you getting the idea of the way Job feels now? Everyone's forsaken him. Uh, even his wife is distant at this point. He says, They have dwelled in mine house and my maids count me for a stranger. I am an alien in their sight. I called my servant and he gave me no answer. Not even my servants are listening. It says, I entreated him with my mouth. My breath is strange to my wife, though I entreated for the children's sake of mine own body. My breath is strange to my wife. Listen, some of us can get some bad breath. What do they call that? Halitosis? I don't think that's what he's talking about here. Certainly, to some extent, I believe it is. Uh, 
I imagine in his disease and the affliction that, that Satan's put on his body that it probably doesn't smell too great. When you're scraping yourself, uh, you know, and just that is, is not a, a good experience to say the least. Who wants to be around that? Who's ever smelled dead flesh? Not pleasant, right? And, and so when you have decay and rottenness going on, and uh, it's just not pleasant, but uh, he is just... He feels like he's caught like an animal in a net uh, in verse 7. Um, Albert Barnes says this in verse 6 when he talks about being overthrown. It says, hath overthrown me, though. The word used here, avath, means to bend, to make crooked or curve, then to distort, uh, to pervert, uh, them to overturn, to destroy. And he cites Isaiah 24 and Lamentations 3. The meaning here is that he had been in a state of prosperity but God had completely reversed everything. And so here's a man that had everything, and now he has nothing. All of his friends, all of his acquaintances, his servants, his wife even, is not wanting to be in his presence. Not wanting, listen, I, I'm married and I have a wife, and, and I like to be consoled by her occasionally. I like her comfort. Uh, I like to be around her. She can be an encouragement to me. And Job has lost everything, and he can't even trust his wife at this point. Curse God and die. And how forsaken he must have been. I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know the challenges that you have and the affliction that you have in your life. And maybe you feel forsaken. Maybe you feel like <clears throat> there is no hope. Job talks about not having any hope. Here, earthly speaking... Verse 7, it says this, Behold, I cry out of wrong, but I am not heard. I cry aloud, but there is no judgment. He's just asking for God to do something, but he feels like there's no response. He doesn't even feel like God is there in this time of, uh, of difficulty. He just feels overthrown. God is against him, perhaps, maybe. He cries out to God, but he doesn't get an answer. That is a difficult place. If you've ever felt that way before, boy, oh boy, Lord help us. Uh, and he, he, he is expecting a response, but he doesn't get one. His loneliness is intensified. His sufferings are increased. Everyone, his kinfolk, his familiar friends, they all have forgotten him. It says he's like an alien. How lonely Job must have felt. I submit to you this morning, we're better off than Job today just because we have the assembly of the believers here. Um, and I know sometimes we can feel forsaken even in here. I, I've been there. Or sometimes you don't feel connected necessarily. But listen, we're talking about faith and affliction today. And hopefully we can make a an application here in a few moments. The mystery of adversity can so overwhelm any of us that it can shake our faith in a good and loving God. And I think to a certain extent it did Job. From a humor perspective, what is happening to Job does not match up with our view of a good and loving God. His friends obviously believe that, and, and that's often how we feel in this life when things just don't feel like... it. Listen... You could be going through great affliction, but oftentimes if you feel like you're close to the Lord, you'll survive. But Job doesn't have that right now. 
God has turned him over to the wiles of the devil. And Satan seems to just be having his way. And he doesn't feel that God is close. He feels that he's just under attack. There in verses 12 through 17, we read them. In 17, my breath is strange to my wife. The appeal to his wife was founded on the relation which they were sustained to their children. So he's even appealing to her. She doesn't want to be around for the smell of his breath, perhaps, or just the physical condition that he's in. And it says, though I entreated for the children's sake of mine own body, the bond that they had with their kids weren't enough to bring her close. And a commentator says this, though they were now dead, or excuse me, the appeal to his wife was founded on the relation which they had sustained to their children. Though they were now dead, he referred to their former attachment to them, to the common affliction which they had experienced in their loss. No doubt he and his wife went through that together. And in view of all their former love to them and all the sorrow which they had experienced in their death, he made an appeal to his wife to show him kindness, but in vain, end quote. He can't find comfort anywhere. Uh, he's in a miserable state. The young children despise him uh, down later on in, in this chapter here. They don't want anything to do with him. And look what it says in verse 20. My bone cleaveth to my skin and to my flesh. I am escaped with the skin of my teeth. I think he is expecting to die soon. Skin and bones. Can you imagine a man that's been through this affliction? He's lost everything. He's, he's ill. Oftentimes when you're ill, you, uh, you lose all the weight and, and you just look miserable. You just look unhealthy and you have no strength, physically speaking. And he's just withering away. He's skin and bones and he's escaping by the skin of his teeth. I don't know about your teeth, but mine don't have a whole lot of skin on them. Now he addresses his friends, and Job appeals for pity because the hand of God has struck him. Have pity on me, have pity on me, he says. Don't you understand what I'm going through? Can I get a little comfort, a little encouragement from you? But they, they won't. They just continue to make accusations and, and judgment on him. But I want to tell you this morning, be patient. God has already overcome your affliction. I don't know what difficulties you face today. I don't know what challenges that you have in your life. Whether it's illness, financial distress, physical things, friendships that have failed. You feel forsaken and alone. The death of loved ones. Listen, Job went through all of that. And I find it amazing in these next few verses, is the faith that Job has in God. This section contains probably one of the best-known verses in the book of Job. They are really an affirmation of Job's great faith in God. And I know, like Job, many believers that go through adversity come through with a much stronger faith than before. Um, I know that to be true in my life. Sometimes when you face things that you just don't know how, and you just trust God through that difficult time, and He brings you through it, and your your faith is increased. Uh, He strengthens you in that. In in verse 23 and 24, Job makes this prayer. He says, Oh, that my words were now written. Oh, that they were printed in a book. That they were graven with an iron pen and lead in the rock. 
forever. And he's like, we need to establish these things. And look at what he says in verse 25. For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and now er, and not another, though my reins be consumed with me. What an amazing example of faith. I think facing death, the loss of everything that this life that we hold, tend to hold dear. I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. But look what he says here in verse 27, whom I shall see for myself. Matthew Henry says some things on this here, and I'm gonna, it's kind of lengthy, but I'm going to read it to you because I think it's beneficial. Uh, it's a good commentary here. <clears throat> so Matthew Henry says this, that there is a Redeemer provided for fallen man, and Jesus Christ is that Redeemer. The word here is gall, gall maybe it would be more appropriate to pronounce, which is used for the next of kin, to whom by the law of Moses the right of redeeming a mortgaged estate did belong, Leviticus, Leviticus 25, 25. Listen to this. Our heavenly inheritance was mortgaged by sin. We ourselves utterly unable to redeem it. Christ is near of kin to us, the next kinsman that is able to redeem. He has paid our debt, satisfied God's justice for sin, and so has taken off the mortgage and made a new settlement of the inheritance. Boy, that's exciting. And it says, our persons also want a redeemer. We are sold for sin and sold under sin. Our Lord Jesus was wrought out a redemption for us the, or, and proclaims redemption for us. And so he is truly the redeemer. He goes on to say this. He is a living redeemer. Praise God. As we are made by a living God, so we are saved by a living redeemer who is both almighty and eternal and therefore able to save to the uttermost. Of him it is witness that he liveth. And I inserted this. This is... He, he, quote, he mentions this verse, and I'm going to read it to you. Revelation 1.18, I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. We are dying, but he liveth, and hath assured us that because he lives, we also shall live. John 14.19, and yet a little while, and the world see me no more. But ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. Boy, Job's looking to that day. Matthew Henry goes on, there are those that through grace have an interest in this Redeemer and can upon good grounds call him theirs. When Job had lost all his wealth and all his friends, yet he was not separated from Christ nor cut off from his relationship or relation to him. Still he is my Redeemer, Job says. The next kinsman adhered to him when all of his other kindred forsook him. You getting what I'm putting down? Everyone's forsaken him, but not his kinsmen. Redeemer, what a blessing. And he had the comfort of it. Job was being comforted at this. Our interest in the Redeemer is the thing that may be known, and where it is known, it may be triumphed in. I don't know what you're facing, but you can triumph. As sufficient to balance all our griefs. I know, <clears throat> I know that my Redeemer lives. His friends often charged him with ignorance or vain knowledge. But he knows enough and knows to good purpose who knows Christ to be his Redeemer. 
And, and let me finish this quickly. It says, There was a latter day at last, a day when time shall be no more, that a day where, or that that is a day we are concerned to think every day. Our Redeemer will at that day stand upon the earth <clears throat> or over the earth to summon the dead out of the graves and determine them to be an unchangeable state. For to Him all judgment is committed. Listen, we don't have to worry about the judgment of our friends. It's all to Him. He shall stand at last on the dust to which this earth will be reduced by the conflagration. Listen, folks, we have a Redeemer. In Christ, we have a Redeemer. And I can't just help but think, Job says before, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Job had a faith in his God and and in his Redeemer. Job didn't have the Word of God like we do today. And look at this remarkable faith. Now I'm certain, uh, as in Genesis 3.15 says, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise his head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And if you remember pastors preaching on this, it's the proto-evangelium, the first mention of the gospel. So no doubt this story had been sent down from Adam and Eve to Noah, and from Noah to, to eventually Job. They understood that there was a Redeemer. Uh, There was one coming in their place. The church pulpit commentary says this, the first time prophecy opened her lips, it was to pronounce these words. To our first parents, they were full of hope and consolation. In some mysterious way, their loss was to be repaired. A deliverer was to be provided. This promise was all their Bible. What in truth is all the rest of Scripture, listen to this, what in truth is all the rest of Scripture but that the development of this great primeval promise of a Redeemer? That's what our Bible's all about. Listen, they might not have had the, uh, the printed Word of God like we do today, but the Redeemer was slain before the foundation of the world. 1 Peter 1.18 through 21, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, by who by him do believe in God, that raised him from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. I'm here to tell you this morning, you can trust God. He's overcome death. He is the victor. He's the redeemer. And whatever you're facing, just trust God. Listen, I won't have all the answers for you. Your friends certainly, if you got me as a friend, aren't going to have the answers. Just trust God. We sang the song 267, of whom I have believed. Look at 2 Timothy 1.12. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Look at the Apostle Paul's talking about all these things that he suffered. All the affliction and all the trials and all the challenges that this life brought to his life. That his ministry brought to this life. Or his life. It says, nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed. And am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. If you don't know Christ, you're miserable. You don't have this promise. 
But listen, in Christ, we are victors. Listen, remember to be gentle with those that are going through difficulties. Be patient with them. And I say be patient with them because the Lord's being patient with them. And listen, for those that are suffering affliction today, God has already overcome that. Just trust Him, and He'll work things out in His timing and and for His glory. Let's pray. Father, we do thank You for this day. Thank You, Lord, for Your Word. Lord, I pray that You just help us to trust You more. Lord, as we look at these examples of those in the pages of Your Word that had a, a great faith with what we look at is so little to go on. But Lord, I know You are just as real to them as You are to us. And so I pray, Lord, that You'd increase our faith. And Lord, I pray that you give us patience to go through the challenges and the difficulties that you've allowed in our life. And I pray that we would come out on the other side purified and more like Jesus Christ each and every day. And Father, we do pray for your blessing upon the service this morning. We ask that you would fill this place with your spirit, Lord, that you would touch the preaching of your word, be with our pastor, fill him up with the spirit, Lord. And I pray that your word would go forth with power. And Lord, that you would work in the hearts of those that are here today. I pray that souls will be saved and lives changed for your glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.